He did great. Thanks, Seth. It's always fun watching Seth do announcements. Sometimes when we're in our box team meeting in the week and I know that Seth is doing announcements, I'm like, hey, maybe we should do more because it's that much fun. As he said, my name is Matt King. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in a sermon series called Loveology. If you haven't been with us for the first couple of weeks, what you missed was in the first week, Kurt was talking about how to define love, which isn't easy. It's not easy at all. Last week, he was talking about what happens when love lets you down, and it does that. It does that from time to time. Next week, he's going to be talking about what happens when you find yourself in love with somebody who happens to be with the same sex, and what's the Christian response to that? Believe it or not, that's not a new issue in the church. And like we've said many times before, not necessarily will all of these sermons apply just to you. You know, we'll be talking sometimes about marriage, and you may not be married. We'll be talking about homosexuality, and you may not be gay. But the fact of the matter is, is that every single one of us have a sphere of influence. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today the sphere of influence that you and I have. And we have the ability to be able to show great love toward anybody that's within that sphere of influence. So let me, let me explain a little bit more what I mean by that. I believe that inside of every single person is like a, a sphere. You know what a sphere is? It's a, it's a circle. It's three-dimensional. And it's, it's right there. And let's pretend that it's around your heart. Now, you care for yourself. You invest into yourself most people do, and that sphere has the potential to only stay that size. But if you want your sphere to grow, that sphere of influence of people that you impact, then it extends to those who are outside of you as well. Let's take, for instance, for me, my family. They're within my sphere of influence. I see them on a regular basis. I run into them, my wife, my kids. Some of you, the people that I work with here, or people that I run into on a regular basis, they're a part of my sphere of influence like I'm a part of theirs. There's, of course, the people that I work with where I work for a living, not here at the church, and I impact them in corporate America. There's you who I see on a weekly basis or however often it is that you, that you visit. You're a part of my sphere. Put it this way, if you have family, boom, there's somebody in your sphere of influence that you could be impacting for God. If you have classes with or you work with people, that's somebody that's in your sphere of influence. All of these people are people that we have the potential to impact for God. Or in other words, through us, through our actions, the things that we say, we have the ability to be able to influence them. We have the ability to be able to impact them. We can make them happy. We can make them sad. We might make them mad. We have the ability to be able to influence them somehow, some way emotionally, impact them somehow, some way for God. That's what I mean by our sphere of influence. And God is counting on us to take advantage of those people that we have a sphere of influence with to impact them for God. He is expecting us to let him work through us to be able to reach them. Let me tell you why I believe that. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. This is what Paul, one of the apostles, close friend and disciple of Jesus, was writing to the church there, and this is what he had to say. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 
And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You see, God wants us to have this impact on people. And it's, it's on these people that are in our sphere of influence. And it's been talked about. This shouldn't be anything that's new for those of you who've been around the Bible or around church for a while. I mean, give you some examples here. We've been commanded to, you know, be nice to our spouses if you're married and treat them with love and respect. And children have been told to obey parents and parents have been told to make sure that they teach their kids well and do it carefully so as not to exasperate them. These are all things that are commanded that we should engage with with one another in terms of acts of love. These are the things that God is expecting us to do. Well, in order for us to be able to do this well, I want to go through a story today. It's a story that's found in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, why don't you go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 10 and get to verse 25. And we're going to go through a story there. But before I go into that story, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. There was this guy who was a religious expert. And he lived in the Jerusalem area around where Jesus is ministry was really ramping up with all of his disciples. And what we mean by a religious expert or what that simply means by a religious expert is that this guy knew all the rules. He knew the rules. He knew how the rules apply to daily life and he was pretty good at living out these rules in terms of daily life. That's what his job was. He's a religious expert. Try to think of it in some ways like a modern day pastor. Many people will look at a modern-day pastor and they think that a modern-day pastor is kind of like a rules expert or a person who's an expert at following or living out the rules, okay? Well, this guy had heard about Jesus and quite honestly, he had become a little, uh, little frustrated with him. Jesus was actually kind of a pain for a lot of the religious experts in that day. And the reason for it was is Jesus had some very grace-filled teachings that he was going around and, and, and living out and... Quite honestly, uh, some of his interpretations of the way that the, the laws, the scriptures were to be applied were, were different than the religious experts. And they were very frustrated with him. The problem was is he, he kept running around doing all these amazing miracles so nobody could really say, hey, you know, stop following him because he's a loser. He was actually pretty cool. And most people were like, yeah, I like this guy. And so they were really frustrated. And so this religious expert was scheming. He was trying to figure out, well, one of these days when I see him, I'm going to, I know. I'm going to impress him with how smart I am and I'm going to test and see how smart he is. And so he's like, I know, I got it. So the next time he sees Jesus, he's like, prepared. Well, let me, let me just read to you how this showdown goes. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what should I do to be saved? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Before we go any further, let's clarify two things real quick. Number one, this guy was asking for clarity on who, not how. Meaning, 
This guy felt like he understood exactly what it meant to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. He thought he had that part down. What he's asking for clarity on is, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to show this love to? Who am I supposed to allow into my sphere? How am I supposed to engage with these, with these, these people that come into my, who actually qualifies? That's what he was looking for in terms of clarity. Number two, when it says that this guy was looking to justify his actions, it's not like this guy is a super bad guy going around doing bad things. It's not like he's letting his dog take a dump in the yard two doors down because it's technically not his neighbor. The reason why I say that, I was driving to work the other day and I actually watched a guy let his dog take a dump in another dude's yard and he didn't clean it up. And I'm like, what the what? Why are you not doing this? It's bad. That would be a bad guy. But it's not this guy. This guy's not doing that. This guy's a good guy. He knows the rules. He lives by the rules. He teaches other people the rules. This is a good guy. So it's not like he's trying to justify some bad actions here. He's just trying to figure out the who. But what if? What if this guy is wrong and he actually doesn't know the how? How's Jesus supposed to handle that now? I mean, awkward situation. This guy is here. Obviously, it's the middle of a group situation. He's like, ha ha, I'm going to test Jesus. I'm really going to show him this time. And Jesus is like, uh. So he comes up with a great idea. Of course, Jesus would. He's awesome. He's like, I'm going to tell you a story. And that's the story that I want to tell to you guys here today. And the reason for it is, is, is this, is that there are so many of us, I believe, who are very similar to a religious expert, and it is this way. Most people who are like me, grow up in the church, understand the Bible, understand the rules, spend a lot of time around the Bible or the church world, and we understand sermons, we've heard them, all kinds of them. We can be easily deceived into thinking that the primary objective is to teach people the rules, to make sure that they understand the rules. That's evangelism. But what if it's not? What if it's not the primary objective? What if the primary objective is to just simply love them? Just to love them. And then when you finally have earned the right to be able to speak some sort of truth into their life, then you start moving forward with stuff like rules. What if? So Jesus wanted to communicate to this guy, no, you don't quite, you don't quite have it. So here's how he did it with this guy. He tells him a story. I'm going to read the story to you. It's found in Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 30. It's not going to be up on the screen, but if you have your Bible open or your app open, you can follow along. Here's the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Let me stop there for a second because it's important to the story. See, Jesus understands that this religious expert knows that the temple priest and the temple servant both have been trained in the same rules that this religious expert would know. In other words, they know the answer to what must I do to be saved. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, blah, blah, blah. They get it. They know that. They understand that. They know the rules. But they also know another rule, which is if you touch a dead body, you're defiled. Oh, yeah. Which means you've got to go through this lengthy cleansing process, and it's a real pain in the butt, and they didn't want to have to do that. And so they're like, no, nah, I'm not touching that, dude, because i got important duties to do. 
I'm a temple priest. I'm a temple servant. Over to the side of the road and keep on going. In other words, their belief in what it was that they were doing in terms of following the rules alleviated them from treating this man as if he were a neighbor. This is what Jesus was saying to this guy. Continuing on. Then a despised Samaritan came along, Jesus says. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked the man. And he replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. See, what Jesus was saying to this guy, and what this guy was hearing Jesus say, was that even a scumbag Samaritan who knew nothing about the law or the rules, knew nothing about how they apply in everyday life, this scumbag was capable of satisfying the greatest command ever given by God. And therefore, worthy of receiving eternal life for it. Expert mind blown, shrapnel all over the place. He's like, what? What Jesus was telling him is this, dude, if you really want to show love, you got to be willing to show that towards somebody that you hate. Somebody that you don't even like. And in order for that kind of thing to happen, you, you have to have a change of heart. Your heart just has to be changed. But I want to talk about that last. What I want to talk about now is that when Jesus spoke to this guy, he not only told him, you have the how wrong, you have the who wrong, but he gave this guy an example of how to love and the story of the Samaritan. So what I want to do to close today is I want to tell you three different ways that you and I can show love. Not necessarily the rules, but show love to somebody to earn the right to be able to tell them about the rules. And then I want to talk about how you can expand that sphere. I believe if you were to take and break down all the passages in the Bible into the ones that talk about love and how we're supposed to show love to one another, all of them can be broken down into three separate ways or categories of which we show love or the way that we're commanded to show love to one another. The first way that we are commanded to show love or to express it is relationally. Love is expressed relationally. What I mean by that is, is when we interact with others, when we are patient with somebody, when we are kind to somebody, when we are, when we are able to sit down and listen to somebody and engage with them in a conversation rather than lecture them. This makes a difference in somebody's life. When, when we engage with them, whether it's a, a wave from our car or a conversation in the aisle at the store, these are all different things that make a big difference. I mentioned earlier that we have been commanded to engage in these relationships with love of those that are all around us. Did you know? Did you know that if you are an employee that you have been told to work for your tyrant boss as if that were Jesus? that you're supposed to do so with enthusiasm. <laughs> you're supposed to do it in such a way that they would look at you and be like, wow, 
You're an awesome employee. Weird. And I know from reading your prayer request that some of you don't like your jobs, just saying. But we have been asked by God, he is counting on us to be ambassadors, to engage with these people and to do things around them so that we could have the opportunity to express love to them. I'm afraid that when I grew up in the church, and I grew up in the church uh, from, really from a very young age, I, I, I've learned lots of things about the rules. I, I've learned how to go about treating people who are not rule followers as well. And I believe that there are times where I was taught to shun them. I've been taught to stay away from them. But the truth of it is, is the Bible never teaches us to separate ourselves from the sinful inhabitants of this world and to barricade ourselves from them. In fact, what we're supposed to do is enjoy as many moments of life with them as we possibly can for the specific purpose of showing love to them. It's never to attack them, to wave signs and banners that tell people about how evil they are and how God is just waiting to strike judgment on them. We've never been commanded to do anything of that. If anything, we've been commanded to do the same thing as that our Savior did, which is to make friends of sinners, to hang out with people, which is why he was so criticized, because he was hanging around with people like prostitutes and tax collectors. Scum! He wasn't supposed to be hanging out with them. He was supposed to be teaching them the rules, not loving on them. But he had things wrong, according to the religious experts, and he wanted to tell them that they didn't understand what it was that they were supposed to be doing. And he lived out his life in such a way and asked us to do the same things. To engage with people in this world and to show them love relationally. And one of the reasons why I started a neighborhood group and why we've been so big on starting neighborhood groups isn't so that I can start teaching the rules to all the people within my neighborhood. It's so that I can love them. Simply take the opportunity to love them. And to love them relationally is one of the easiest things to do, to notice people. I'm not saying it's always easy, but it's one of the easiest things in terms of expressions of love to do. But there are times when if you relationally hang out with people long enough and you're, you're trying to be patient with them and kind and listen, you might find that some of the people that you run into have needs that move beyond just relational. Sometimes people have things that you could do to help them, and that's when love needs to be expressed functionally. One of the, in the story that Jesus told, one of the things that's so important is he, he mentions that, yes, the Samaritan got in there and loved this guy relationally, but he also got in there and, and, and loved him functionally. He soothed his wounds, he bandaged them, he, he poured wine over them. I'm not sure how that would help. I would pour it down his mouth maybe. But at any rate, he used all this stuff to help the guy and he invested into it and it took an effort and energy and that's the truth of it. And mental barriers and prejudices getting away from us expressing love relationally and functionally into people. That's what the big deal was with this story and that it was the Samaritans who were despised by the Jews and the Jews are despised by the Samaritans. They hate one another. And so what he was saying to them is, is, I understand your mental barriers. I understand your prejudices. We all have them, but we're supposed to get past those things and to love people. And I tell you what, man, there's nothing that makes a person feel so loved as when they've been given a burden to carry and somebody comes along and grabs that burden and tries to carry it with them. You can make a person feel extremely loved that way. I remember years ago, I was vegging out at home and I got an email, pops up on my phone, and I look at it. It's one of the guys in my small group, and he's like, hey, can somebody please come and help? My wife and I need to take our daughter to the hospital, and we need somebody to watch our older daughter. So immediately, people started responding, and I took off and went over there and 
my wife stayed with their older daughter and I took off and went with him and his wife to the hospital and I was with them when the doctor came in and said, your two-year-old has leukemia. But I wasn't the only one who was there. There were about 12 people who right at the moment that they were given that burden to carry, we all grabbed it with them and said, okay, we got this with you. And for years we carried that with them. And today that little girl is doing extremely, extremely well. But things get in the way. It's those prejudices. It's those things that we have built in hatred. And unless the love of God can come through and knock out those things that underpin those prejudices, we will carry them with us. And we will fail to be able to show love, express it relationally or functionally toward people. Or mental barriers. Sometimes the mental barriers is that we're so busy. That's mine. I can't tell you how many times I am so preoccupied with all the things that are going inside of my mind that it's easy to navigate people rather than to notice them. And when the moment comes for me to be able to really engage with them, it's so much easier to lecture them than it is to really listen to them. And of course, it's always very easy to default to somebody and just start telling them the rules, what it is they need to do, get it right. And then, of course, everything will work for you. God wants us to express love functionally. He wants us to express love relationally and getting over our prejudices and our Mental barriers are hard. Some of you have gotten over those and that you serve here and you serve greatly here. We have people who are a part of our worship team. Thank God for our worship team and people who know how to play and sing. That's awesome. I love that. I love that they work so hard throughout the week to be able to get better at that and lead us in it. And all the people who are a part of the tech team and make things work. And for those of you who are investing into Adventureland or Awana or into Epic, I hope you know that your sphere of influence is awesome. You are making a massive impact on children's lives for eternity. This is the kind of stuff of where when you enter into heaven, there will be people who will be weeping and praising you for what it is that you've done in order to impact them and their family for God. I love the way that some of you are functionally invested and serving and showing love here at this church. The third way to express love is financially. Think about it for a minute. Who have you invested the most resources into besides you? The most money and resources into besides you, who has it been? And who has invested the most money and resources into you besides you? My guess is, is that's the group of people, that's the list of people that probably love you the most or have loved you the longest. You see, what Jesus was trying to do when he was telling the story about this Samaritan guy who came along who didn't just express love relationally, he expressed it functionally, he also expressed it financially. He was trying to drive a point home that money makes a big deal to all of us. It makes a huge difference to all of us. We know that. All of us know that. And what he was saying is, is that no way, anyway, anybody is going to spend money on something that isn't valuable to them. And what he wants is for us to view others in our sphere as valuable. That somehow, some way, it might be possible that God has given us resources that he wants to redirect to somebody in need. And he's counting on us to be able to do so. So that he can supply us with more if need be. But he wants to reach these people. He wants them to be able to see that God is saying, come back to me. I love you. And he wants to use us to do that. And one of the ways that we can do that, obviously, is financially using the resources that God has given to us to redistribute that to them and to make a difference. And there are all kinds of ways that people do that. To show genuine love to someone isn't to first and foremost inform them of the rules. It's to love them. It's to express love can be done relationally, functionally, or financially. And in order for that to happen at the extreme level that God would want it to happen in your life, 
It's going to need a change of heart. A big one. And that's what I want to close with today is how that happens. And I want you to think about it in this regard. I want you to think about it in three terms, here, near, and far. Some of you have probably heard us teach on this before because it's been used in connection with evangelism here and near, around us, or far. But I want you to think about it differently. I want you to think about the here as being right here, that sphere that I talked about earlier about being around your heart. See, if you don't let God get in there and change that first, your sphere really doesn't ever grow to where you're having an impact on other people. If you are, it might not be a good one. So it starts here. And how often do we pray, God, break my heart? God, change my heart. God, make it so that when I come to church, I can't help but see the people who are in need because I guarantee you there are many beaten travelers who come into this church every single week and they're just hoping that somebody will notice them. How many times do we pray about that? It starts here. For me, I hated God. I, I knew that if, if there was one way that I was going to be able to experience any kind of greatness in my life, it was going to be outside of God, but he changed my heart. He came in in my heart and he changed it radically and now I love him. And the only way that I've ever been able to be used by God in any way, shape or form to have a positive influence on the people who are in my sphere is because God first and foremost did work here and I let him. Are we letting him? That's the first thing. If you're not letting God do work here, then your sphere really isn't gonna grow much beyond you. But if it is, and you are, and many of you I know make it a regular habit to not just come to church, but to let God be a part of your life throughout the course of your week and you're challenged by the things that God is doing inside of your heart. And you're thinking about how can I move out beyond here to near? How can I show love near around me? Great ways to do that here at this church. So many opportunities to be involved in the various ministries. A neighborhood group. I've started up a neighborhood group. You could start a neighborhood group as a way, again, of not teaching people the rules, but just to love them once a month. A variety of different ways. The other is far. Your sphere of influence can grow beyond you and beyond here in this near vicinity. It can extend far. Our senior pastor isn't here today because God is using him in far. Kurt is working with a group of Russian pastors this week and teaching them. In a few months, he's going to be working with a group of African pastors in Africa. And he'll be teaching them more and more and more about the gospel and the truths and how to structure their churches and how to continue to be better pastors and religious experts, people who are showing love toward others. Far. Many of you have been part of our Guatemala missions team. We're going again this August. That's a great way for you to show love far. God has you in the center of a sphere of influence, and he's asking for you to be an ambassador for him so that everybody you come into contact with, you have a chance to be able to show them love and to express them love in three ways, relationally, functionally, or potentially even financially. But in order for that to happen, you gotta let God do work here. And then he'll move you to the near. Then he'll move you to the far. Let me pray for you. Lord, I'm so grateful that you've changed my heart and that what you have done in it is if you've turned me into a person who not only loves you, but loves others and loves myself. I ask, Lord, that you would help all of us to understand that and to do that, to be good at it, to do good in our own hood, to be invested and involved into the lives of those that are in our sphere of influence. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't shake 
this responsibility off and come up with excuses that would alleviate us from this burden of responsibility like a religious expert would do. But instead, help us to be intentional to look for those moments, whether it's someone who's stranded on the side of the road and needs a tire fixed or somebody who just needs prayer. Help us to be aware of those people who are in our sphere. Help us to be considerate and conscientious enough to know that you love them and you might want to reach them through us. And Lord, help us to be conscientious of the fact that we need that change in our hearts daily. If you're here today and you're thinking, I know I need that change, I'm gonna offer up a simple prayer. You can take the words, make them your own, or you can, you can make up your own. It's really about what you think, about where your heart's at. But here's a sample prayer nonetheless. God, I give up. I surrender. I give you my life. I give you everything in it, including my sin and my will. I'm, I'm tired. I'm worn out and I'm frustrated. And I honestly, I'm even skeptical. I don't even know if you really will love me. But if you will, if you will, and you can change a person, and you can change your heart, I'm your candidate. Change mine. If that's your prayer, I promise you, if you really are praying it, God really is hearing it, and he really will change it. You might even be feeling right now what it's like to have the Holy Spirit fill you up, move inside of you. It's for real. And for those of you who are Christians like me, who are just needing a little dose of reality again about what it really is required, requires a love of God. My heart, my prayer is, is that your heart would be flooded with love for God. And out of that, you couldn't help but talk about him. You couldn't help but mention him. You couldn't help but brag about him. You couldn't help but make much of Jesus because he's just so awesome. He's so cool. I hope you believe that. If not, then pray that God would reveal to you once again just how awesome and mighty and fun he is. Lord, thank you for your love. And I pray that as we sing this next song, Lord, that it wouldn't just be words coming out of our mouths, it would be words coming out of our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you guys to stand. We're going to sing through this. And you have a chance to make it your prayer. You have a chance to think about all kinds of things. But I'm asking you to stay focused. And after the song, I'll come back up and dismiss us. No, I firmly believe that if people really mean the words to a song like that, you just get changed. Your here changes, which means the near and the far will too. I hope that's true for you. If you made that prayer today your own, I want to invite you to grab one of these white uh, pamphlets. It's a new believer packet. They're by each door. Inside of it is a Bible and some stuff to help you get started. Please don't let that be the only thing that you do, though. Make sure that you tell somebody. Come tell me, tell one of the other pastors, or tell a friend. Someone's been praying for you. The other thing is if you'd like communion, please feel free to stop by and take that. We've got it available sides of the room. And those who have gluten issues, we've got some for you at the back at the info table. And if you'd like prayer, make your way forward instead of making your way out to pick up your kids or go watch football. We'd love to pray with you guys. Thanks. God bless you guys. Hope to see you next week.